Perfect. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Rachel Vattenstahl from the Life Science Tools and Diagnostics team here at J.P. Morgan. Um, I'm pleased to present Rainer Blair from the Danaher team. Today will be your normal session like the rest of the day, 40 minutes. The first 20 will be focused on the company presentation, followed by 20 minutes of Q&A. Um, during Q&A, if you're joining us via webcast, feel free to submit your questions through that Q&A function online. And for those of you in the room, if you have a question, please raise your hand. We have mic runners throughout the room. So with that, thank you. Thank you, Rachel, and, and thank you to J.P. Morgan uh, for hosting us today. And hello to all of you. It's great to see uh, so many of you again in person. And, of course, also to those of you that were, were connected via the, via the webcast. So it's great to be here. Now, before we get started, please uh, have a look at our forward-looking uh, statements advisory. Uh, please feel free to review that at your convenience. Now, before I get started, let me give you a quick overview about what I'll talk about. First, I'll give a quick uh, current update on the fourth quarter, uh, and then I'll talk about our separation of the environmental uh, and applied solutions separation, uh, where you know we uh, see ourselves creating a great deal of shareholder value. And then uh, I'll talk about uh, Danaher's positioning post the EAS separation in 2024 and beyond as a science, science and technology leader with a focus on human health. <clears throat> now, the fourth quarter exceeded our expectations. You may have seen uh, our announcement from yesterday after the close uh, of the markets. Uh, we highlighted our fourth quarter uh, that very strong finish to the fourth quarter in 2022, culminating in what was another tremendous year for Danaher. Now, in the fourth quarter, 2022, our estimated core revenue growth was up high single digits, and that's versus a guide of flat to slightly negative. We had high single-digit base business core revenue growth, and that was as expected. And then we had better-than-expected respiratory testing revenue at Cepheid, with that coming in at over a billion dollars for the fourth quarter. Now, at the same time, we expect strong earnings and cash flow with adjusted operated profit, profit margin exceeding our prior guidance. Now, if we switch to EAS, uh, our separation teams are in play, the work streams are progressing well, and we expect to separate EAS by the fourth quarter of this year, 2023. So just a great quarter and a great way to finish 2022 for Danaher. Now, as we think about the EAS separation, keep in mind uh, that for both Danaher and EAS, the separation allows both companies to reach their full potential as separate and uh, public companies. And we couldn't be more excited for the teams about the opportunity and under the leadership of Jennifer Honeycutt, who will be the president and CEO of the new public entity. In fact, Jennifer has been with Danaher for over 20 years, is an exceptional DVS leader and highly experienced in M&A. And the business she will be running is shown here on the left. It's an outstanding $5 billion lineup of the leading franchises in the most attractive areas of water quality and product identification. In fact, what you have here are razor razor blade business models with spec-in consumables supported by strong secular growth drivers 
and in aggregate, a highly differentiated ESG positioning. And on the right, you'll see our anticipated long-term performance of mid-single-digit core revenue growth, recurring revenues of over 50%, and adjusted EBITDA margins of 25% with very strong cash flow. And of course, now EAS will have the ability to deploy that capital with a bias towards M&A with meaningful uh, cash deployments. At the same time, EAS, of course, will maintain at its foundation the Danaher business system and a commitment to continuous improvement with the strong execution that we have seen for a decade plus and the resulting market share gains. Now, if you bring all this together, fantastic franchises, differentiated business models, uh, fantastic ESG positioning, the ability to deploy cash to M&A, we see all of that driving tremendous shareholder value creation. So now if we fast forward post-EAS separation to Danaher in 2024 and beyond, how are we positioned then? <clears throat> well, let's start off with the fact that we're changing our segmentation of the business. We're extracting the biotechnology business from what is now then the legacy life science businesses, and you'll have three segments uh, rather than two. And, of course, EAS in this time period would also be already be a separate uh, public company. And so what you see here is that over the last years, we have dialed our portfolio into the most attractive end markets in biotechnology, in life sciences, and, of course, in diagnostics. And together, this has re-rated our growth higher to high single digits. That's so important. And at the same time, you see that that growth is balanced across the three segments. So let's have a look at those. In biotechnology, you've got nearly a $9 billion franchise anchored by the bioprocessing business and growing at high single digits long term. If you look at the life sciences business lineup here on the bottom with the logos, you can see those incredibly strong life science instrument companies in addition to the very strong genomics businesses, $7 billion of revenue, once again, growing at high single digits. Then you look at our diagnostics businesses. Here you're talking about an $11 billion uh, segment that just in 2019 was $6.5 billion. And these businesses are aligned on the most important secular growth trends in diagnostics. Let me give you some examples. For instance, the underpenetration of molecular diagnostics at the point of care. Cepheid is the gold standard with the largest installed base by a long shot, the deepest and widest menu uh, in the world. So when you think about the fact that we continue to invest every day in expanding that installed base and expanding the menu, that's just an outstanding positioning. And I'm sure you've all heard about the trend of healthcare decentralizing and moving outside of the core treatment centers, while at the same time, the automation of workflows to address the skilled labor shortage. Well, all of our diagnostic operating companies cover these, uh, these trends, but particularly Beckman Coulter Diagnostics. So when you bring all this together, 2024, so post the EAS separation, what you have is a more focused, 
faster growing $26.5 billion science and technology powerhouse that's focused on human health. Now, also in 2024 and beyond, our businesses will be united by a common business model. These are razor-razor-blade business models in mission-critical applications with stacked-in, high-value consumables. And if you look to the right here, uh, you see in 2024 and beyond, 80% of the revenue is recurring, up significantly from years past, and also significantly reducing our cyclicality. Now, at the same time, the customer intimacy we have developed with these mission-critical applications and the frequency of the interactions associated with these more consumable-oriented businesses, this has allowed us to inform our innovation engine. This allows us then to deploy our proprietary solutions at higher margins, certainly, but also for share gain. So when you bring this all together and you think about these attractive end markets, these leading franchises, the power of the Danaher business system, you can see how we bring lasting leverage to our growth and earnings trajectory. Now, I mentioned that I would talk a little bit more about uh, the biotechnology business, specifically uh, bioprocessing, the anchor asset in that new segment. And the reason I want to do that is because, of course, the acquisition uh, of Cytiva uh, has done so much to differentiate our capabilities there. But it's also just such a great example of how Danaher creates value through scaled capital deployment. And this is a three-phase process for us, this acquisition. And I have to tell you, it starts with the team. I can't say enough about our Cytiva team. They are innovative. They are motivated. They are highly qualified. And they are totally dedicated to our customers and patients. And it's without them, it is with them, and with that level of capability that we've been able to pull off uh, this extraordinary uh, acquisition. Let's start with phase one, which is the carve-out, where, over, where we exited over 200 transition service agreements. We hired, trained, and deployed, to the point of impact, 3,000 associates. And we launched a new brand, which is already in the top echelon in terms of brand recognition in our industry. Now, when you move to phase two, which is, you know, stand up and operate, phase one, carve out, phase two, stand up and operate, you can see that our Cytiva team embraced the Danaher business system, ran over 400 manufacturing Kaizens. So important, of course, to improve productivity, but also to increase our capacity during the critical time during the pandemic, during the critical time in the pandemic. And at the same time, meaningfully improved the customer-facing metrics here with on-time delivery. Now, in parallel, we continue to invest in the business over a billion and a half dollars in capacity expansions. I'll talk about that uh, with, in a, in, with more detail in just a second. But by way of example, you can see here uh, we've more than doubled the capacity of our single-use technology business. You may know that that's one of the fastest-growing segments within bioprocessing and that we're the largest player in single-use technologies as well. So that's the standing up and operating part, but how are we doing financially? And if you look to the right here, I think the financials speak for themselves. First of all, we have more than doubled uh, the sales 
of the business um, since acquisition. Keep in mind, we closed this acquisition at the beginning of April of 2020. At the same time, we've been able to improve our competitive positioning, allowing us to re-rate our long-term growth expectations of the business from what was originally 6 to 7% to now high single digits. And I think the return on invested capital says a lot. This is double-digit return on invested capital in such a short period of time and frankly exceeded uh, all of our expectations. So let's move on then to phase three. What's that all about? Well, phase three is to bring together Cytiva and Paul into the biotechnology group. This is the premier bioprocessing uh, business in the world. It's unmatched. It has the broadest portfolio and the deepest portfolio across the bioprocessing workflow. And when I talk about broad, what does that mean? Well, it means that we can essentially provide you any individual product you might need to produce your biologic therapies, but we can also provide you the end-to-end solution. If you need us to build a plant with the clean rooms around it in the building and the IT infrastructure to run it properly, we can do that too. But what do I mean when I say the deepest portfolio? Well, the deepest portfolio is all about the number of modalities that, that we can address to meet the here and now, but also to the, need, the needs of the future. So, for example, of course, we're leaders in protein therapeutics. So monoclonal antibody, antibody drug conjugates, bispecifics, and the lot. But also in nucleic acid therapies, so gene, cell, mRNA, oligonucleotide, CRISPR-Cas9, we can provide the individual as well as the end-to-end solution to be able to develop at lab scale, scale up for clinical trials, and ultimately produce at GMP quality levels for commercialization. That's unique. That's unique. Now, we bring together what I consider the best and brightest and the best trained commercial and technical service teams in the world. And I'll talk about the scale of uh, these efforts in just a second. And the mission of this team is only one, to ensure that our customers have the best customer experience through the entire development cycle. So from R&D all the way through to commercialization. Now, with the insights that we have in these mission-critical workflows, uh, with the breadth that we now have in the portfolio, we are ultimately able to help our customers achieve that which they ultimately care about, which is the best quality. The drugs need to be safe. Quality is how that is characterized. The highest yields of the process. We want these drugs to find higher penetration and meet the patient's needs around the world. That means we need to have the highest yields so that we can also deliver the lowest cost of ownership. And that's what our innovation is. That's what our teams are focusing on every day. Now, if we look uh, a little bit further down here, we're investing, of course, in capacity expansions. I mentioned that earlier. And that, of course, is important to meet the needs of the day and, of course, the needs of tomorrow. But as important in this industry is supply security. So we are able to now deliver that uh, supply security in region for region in all the major regions, including having redundancies in the supply chain uh, to ensure that we can address worst-case scenarios, some of which, um, you know, uh, were arriving here during uh, the pandemic 
uh, in our industry as a whole. So we have made those investments we continue to do, and we help to simplify our uh, customer supply chains. Now, we also, of course, continue to invest in, organically in the business. We've launched myriad innovations, as I've mentioned, to improve the productivity of the processes, to improve the titers through the cell lines and cell culture media formulations that we deliver, uh, and any number of other examples. But at the same time, we continue to invest inorganically in this business to round out our competitive uh, capabilities and our offering to our customers. Just to give you a couple of examples here, uh, we have acquired Precision Nanosystems. These are smaller companies with big technology uh, that allows us to deliver lipid nanoparticle uh, capability to our customers. All of you are familiar with lipid nanoparticles because that's what envelops nucleic acid uh, vaccines, such as mRNA. That's what allows you to absorb the mRNA into your body and ultimately your cell. Aseptic fill-finish capability with the acquisition of NRX. So important with the sensitivity of nucleic acid therapeutics to have that aseptic capability, fill-finish capability in our organization. And then by way of my last example here, stable as well as transient cell line capabilities. So the cells that ultimately produce, for instance, a gene therapy, either transient, that's one type of technology, or stable, critically important to the future of these nucleic acid medicines. So here you see what we mean by scale. Over 16,000 associates in over 40 countries around the world, jumping out of bed, if you will, every morning, looking to help our customers uh, get those therapeutics uh, to the patients in need around the world via 36 global manufacturing sites. So this is what I mean about scale capability in region, for region uh, manufacturing, in order to shorten supply chains and lead times, simplifying them from a complexity perspective, and then ultimately providing um, unrivaled supply security. As importantly, over 20 R&D and innovation centers where we are working together on a daily basis with our customers, not just to meet the challenges of the day, of course, but also to understand the opportunities of tomorrow and the day after in innovating the next level of solutions. You look to the right, you see the investments in uh, several, you know, like I said, a billion and a half dollars here in all the major uh, product lines, certainly um, improving uh, capacity, more than doubling capacity, but also slashing our lead times for competitive advantage and once again uh, to be closer to our customers. So at the heart of world-class execution at Danaher is the Danaher business system. This is how we operate. This is how we execute across our businesses, all the operating companies. And that will be the case for EAS in the future as well as it is for Danaher. And in blue, you see our core values and our shared purpose helping realize life's potential, which is the basis for over the, the competitive advantage, sustainable and differentiated, that we have refined over decades. The Danaher business system, it's not just a collection of tools. It's a culture. It's who we are, and it's how we do what we do. It's why we're different.
So let me give you some proof points. I mentioned that I talk about the life science instrument uh, businesses. And on the right side, you see here from 2012 to 2016, those businesses were growing in the low to mid single digits. And so we applied here the power of the Danaher business system to a group of businesses in very attractive end markets to sustainably improve our innovation processes. And on the left, you see examples of that, the problem to portfolio tool uh, that SIEX deployed to better understand the most material and critical um, pain points of our customers, resulting in the launch of the 7600 uh, Xenotoff. You're all aware of the importance of proteomic research. The 7600 Xenotoff identifies and quantifies more proteins than any other platform in the world. The 7500 triple quad that was launched in parallel is the most sensitive mass spectrometer, um, allowing for um, far better bioanalysis uh, in the ultimate development of drugs. And this has resulted to 40% of Cyx's growth attributed to new products, and you can see a sustained improvement in growth from mid to high single digits on the right. You think about Beckman Coulter Life Sciences launched over 30 products since 2018. That's an order of magnitude more, order of magnitude more than the equivalent prior period through using the accelerated product development tool. And then lastly, and this is one I'm uh, super excited about. Of course, I'm excited about all of them, but uh, super excited about uh, the improvement here at Leica Microsystems when you launch a breakthrough in life sciences, a critical factor is how quickly will it be adopted? Scientists, understandably, are very conservative. Uh, and so it's so critical to be able to, after launch, have you know, a, a high adoption rate to accelerate your growth. And so we developed a product uh, launch excellence tool here. And Leica Microsystem launched a product called Mica. And it's a microscope that combines wide field microscopy with confocal microscopy in a form factor and price that allows principal investigators to do high resolution, high resolution live cell experiments in their own lab, as opposed to having to send those cells to the core lab with all the trouble you can imagine that's associated with that. We've had an extraordinary uptake of this amazing breakthrough. It's of course increased the size of the market by now bringing these solutions uh, to principal investigators versus the fewer core labs. And you can see an increase in revenue of over 40% uh, in new products the last three years. So you can see the power of the Danaher business system to sustainably improve processes and growth in this example in the life science instrument group. And it's one of the reasons why this business has been growing uh, so uh, strongly here, including uh, the fourth quarter here of 2022. Now, let's switch gears and talk about sustainability. It's so important, and it's getting more important every day. And as a result of that, it's, of course, also a priority for Danaher. Now, we define our sustainability activities along three categories, team, innovation and environment. You can see that down the middle. And as you likely saw, one of our core values is the best team wins. And so for us, building the best team means building a diverse team. More resilient, more innovative, and more motivated. And as such, 75% of our recent hires are diverse. If we look at innovation, of course, innovation, as I just thought, spoke about, is central to our business. 
It's what we do to help improve lives. But we also want to help improve the planet here. And so what we've done is we've integrated sustainable design practices in our R&D processes. We've upped our R&D investment by 30% to have an outsized impact here as well. And then lastly, if we think about the environment, we've signed up for over 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions, not by 2050, but by 2032. Concrete steps to deliver real progress and greenhouse gas emissions by Danaher. And if you're interested in hearing more about our sustainability journey and the progress that we're making, we've just published our sustainability report 2022 in the fourth quarter, and you can download that from our website. Now, let's bring it all together. What does all this mean? Once again, post the EAS spin in Danaher uh, 2024 and beyond, we are re-rating both our growth as well as our margin profile higher. So our growth from mid-single digits plus to high single digits. And if we look underneath the hood, how is that? Well, here, here you see it. The scales leading franchise in bioprocessing, $8.8 billion, the combination of Cytiva and Paul growing at high single digits. The gold standard at the point of care for molecular testing which will represent more than 10% of Danaher, growing low double digits. Then you have our genomics, excellent genomic franchises growing well into the double digits and are very strong, and I just talked about those, life science instrument and clinical diagnostics businesses growing at mid-single digits plus. So you bring all that together, that's your high single-digit growth rate, and we've re-rated our fall-through from 30 to 35% to now 35 to 40%, and you couple that with our very strong free cash flow conversion, and you channel that to capital allocation with a bias to M&A, you, can, you see why we're so confident in our double-digit plus EPS growth trajectory and the power of the compounding returns that that implies. So to wrap up once more, just the key takeaways. Post the EAS separation, so think 2024 and beyond, we have differentiated positions in the most attractive areas of biotechnology, life sciences, and diagnostics. We're enhancing our growth trajectory and long-term competitive advantage every day through investments in innovation and capacity where appropriate and M&A. And lastly, we have re-rated both our long-term growth and margin profiles higher, driven by the power of the Danaher business system. So with that, thank you. Um, I think we have some time for Q&A. And so over to you, Rachel. Um, thank you. And as a reminder, if anyone does have a question, feel free to raise your hand. And we will have a mic runner come to you. Um, so first off, congratulations on the pre-announcement. Um, high single digits core and then high single digits based business well above expectations. Um, a lot of that was driven by respiratory season and the outpaced growth at Cepheid. But just wondering if you could walk us through, were there any other businesses that grew, you know, above your expectations internally? Um, bioprocessing is obviously an area of interest for most of us in the room. So can you walk us through what were some of the trends you saw in bioprocessing? 
Sure. So, I mean, we're just closing the books that now, as you can imagine, but I think I can give you some color here. First of all, I would tell you that um, bioprocessing grew as expected, and we closed the year at high single digits growth, which is something that I've been communicating as our expectation, and that's where we are. Uh, as we think about our life science instrument group, uh, it grew uh, in the high single digits with some of the operating companies that you just saw well uh, into the teens, um, but the fleet average in the high single digits also, as expected, um, very strong growth. Um, if we move to diagnostics briefly, uh, here we saw, uh, of course, Stephanie had uh, crushing it with uh, the beat, uh, but then also we saw uh, our Leica Biosystems and Radiovan, our businesses, growing into the high single, low double digits. And then lastly, Beckman-Coulter Diagnostics, there we did see uh, the impact of the China reopening um, with uh, an impact on patient volumes, but really at the margin. Um, so in aggregate life uh, or diagnostics, uh, of course, together with uh, Cepheid, uh, uh, outperforming our expectations. Great to hear. Really strong performance across sure the board there. Um, so maybe just to get into some of this bioprocessing dynamic. Um, so specifically, you laid out recently a range of outcomes for that non-COVID bioprocessing heading into next year. You said it could either be in that high single-digit to low double-digit range, which is that longer-term growth, growth profile that you've historically pointed to, or it could go, you know, mid-teens in line with the three-year CAGR that we've seen just off the robust growth we've had in recent years. So, you know, first off, can you give us an update on what you're seeing from the de-stocking dynamic at some of those COVID customers that had bet big on COVID and that market just hasn't come to fruition? And then, you know, how is that, how are those conversations translating into where you're thinking bioprocessing will shake up on 23? So uh, regarding the stocking dynamic in, in bioprocessing, I think we've talked about the fact that we actually didn't see broad-based inventory builds, you know, across the breadth of the bioprocessing market. Where we have seen them, um, it was related to larger players with larger COVID-related, so think vaccines or therapeutics, uh, programs that ultimately either didn't come to fruition or the uptake, uh, as you can imagine, with some of the vaccine uptake that we've seen relatively low, uh, simply didn't generate the volumes. And what we're seeing there is that uh, these customers with whom we are in a dialogue with regularly uh, are starting to burn down uh, those uh, inventories because they are applicable to other uh, programs that we have. So that is uh, going uh, as expected, and we've talked about that taking a couple quarters, and I think that's our view um, there as well. And as we think about the non-COVID business, uh, just back to the fourth quarter, we saw that growing 20% plus uh, as well in the fourth uh, quarter. So what we're doing right now, and this is that time of year for us, so it's not unusual, we're in a dialogue with our customers nailing down with them their production plans for 2023. Those roll-ups are in process. The team is working it as we speak. Uh, and actually, I'll be updating um, all of you here uh, during our earnings call on uh, January 24th, so just a couple weeks away here uh, on where all that shakes out for 23. Great. 
Maybe just spending a moment here on COVID vaccines and therapeutics, since we're kind of touching on it already. Can you just talk to us about, were you able to hit that $800 million in COVID revenues for vaccines and therapeutics this year? And then how does that translate into your confidence for that $500 million last, or for the upcoming year? Obviously, that's been a bit of a dynamic market. So what gives you confidence that you're able to reach that 500 next year? So, so first, um, we did uh, hit the $800 million slightly more um, uh, in the uh, COVID business and bioprocessing for 2022. Um, we today are talking about the $500 million uh, number for next year, and we are, as I suggested a minute ago, in dialogue with our customers today regarding uh, their production plans uh, in order then to come to a final uh, perspective on 2023, uh, and we'll share that here in a couple of weeks. Perfect. Um, and then there's been some questions on this pharma and biotech pipeline. Um, just given funding concerns, um, you know, MAVs, biosimilars as well. You flagged during your analyst day this fall that you expect MAVs to grow double-digit CAGR in the next five years, and then for biosimilars to increase 20% from 2022 through 2027. So, you know, can you talk through some of the data points and what gives you confidence that that long-term funnel that you're going to be able to support long-term? Sure. So, I mean, if we start with the, the funnel and, let's say, monoclonal antibodies, um, the, the number of um, projects in that funnel has increased by 50 percent here uh, in the last, you know, five years. Uh, this is a, a product class which is now, you know, in its 25th to 30th year, uh, and efficacy and the understanding of these molecules has increased so much over the years that we continue to expect that pipeline to progress uh, through the various uh, clinical phases and then ultimately uh, be commercialized. Monoclonal antibodies uh, are here to stay for the long term uh, and are a real growth driver. And of course, they're by far, by far the largest uh, segment or modality uh, in the drug development pipeline. And that's what gives us the confidence to do that. And of course, some of the investments I shared with you today are, ba- are essentially uh, catalyzed uh, by our confidence in that funnel. And then if you think about the you know, next generation drugs, um, gene and cell therapy, mRNA, uh, and of course, you know, gene editing with CRISPR-Cas9 and so forth. Those are in their early stages. It's a relatively small market, but we see that the development funnel has increased by an order of magnitude, so 10x uh, in the last five years. And we see these uh, projects progressing through the drug development uh, phases uh, and sometimes uh, at an accelerated rate. And hopefully in the next year here, we'll also hear about additional approvals uh, in those drug classes. And those also uh, not only inspire us in terms of what's possible in terms of curing patients, uh, but also in terms of the health of this business as the critical mass of those therapies picks up here over time. Helpful. Um, you know, maybe shifting over to some of this instrument strength that we've been seeing across the sector, can you just give us an update on how you're thinking about that instrument market? The acceleration that we saw this year was a lot of that just underlying market growth with some of that share shift. Um, and then how do you see that translating into 2023 as the comps get, you know, much more difficult? Sure. So as we think about 2022 as a starter, it has been uh, a strong funding environment. Uh, there's no question that the market overall is very healthy. We in particular have been able to benefit from this. I just uh, talked through some of the innovations that we were able to launch. So together with this healthy funding environment, our very strong growth, and we think share gain is based on uh, the new product development cycle on top of that. 
And then as we get into 2023, as you can imagine, I'll talk to you more about that here in a couple of weeks. Uh, right. But, you know, we, we continue to believe that we're in an advantaged position there. Maybe shifting over to China. So you mentioned during your earlier comments about Beckman having a little bit of a headwind there. Um, can you just talk to us about what you're seeing in the China market as a whole? You were able to really grow in 2Q despite lockdowns, but this is a bit of a different scenario with some of the outbreaks that we're seeing, especially on the personnel side. So can you walk through what that means from patient volume perspective um, and just your ability to be you know, successful and grow in China in the near term sure. here? Sure. Well, first of all, as difficult as this situation is in China, for the people in China, one has to, you know, really feel for what's going on there. Um, you know, ultimately, this is going to result in a more robust um, uh, growth outlook for China, which we continue to be very positive on. So we do view this uh, as a phenomenon which may take a quarter or two quarters in order to shake out. But what we have seen, and even into the fourth quarter, for instance, our life science instruments business continues to be very strong. So stepping back from um, what is a turbulent but we hope brief time here in China, we expect uh, the markets perhaps even to release pent-up demand uh, in the second half of uh, 2023. Who, that's unclear at this stage. But also... Um, in the long term, we remain bullish on China. The needs of the Chinese population from a healthcare perspective, this, we're just scratching the surface there, uh, and we expect China to be a growth market for the long term. Helpful. And then in terms of your long-term guide, obviously this portfolio has gone under a significant transformation the last decade here um, with Fortiv and then with Invista, you know, acquiring all Devron, Cytiva, and then better position diagnostics franchise coming, in, coming out of the pandemic as well. So you guided to high single digits long-term. Um, and so that's post-spin EAS. And then some of your peers have also guided to high single digits, but that's inclusive of some of these lower-growing businesses. So can you kind of talk through the dynamics there? And then what would it take to really push Danaher into a double-digit growth scenario over the next few years? Well, uh, first of all, uh, you know, we, we believe really when we talk about long-term, we're not talking about three months, six months, 12 months, right? We're talking about three, five, seven years. Uh, and, and we think that high single-digit growth uh, at the scale of the businesses that we're talking about is the sweet spot in terms of how to think about that long term. Can we imagine years that might be stronger? We can, absolutely. Um, uh, and will there be years perhaps when the step is taken back? That could be too. But we do believe in the long term that a high single-digit growth rate for a $26.5 billion franchise um, is a significant uh, vote of confidence in the strength of the portfolio, the differentiation of those businesses, and the power of the Danner business system. Great. And then kind of going off of that, um, obviously, you, this is not your first time spinning out of business. So can you just talk about what did you and the rest of the management team really learn from spinning off of Vista and Fortive, um, and then how those learnings really impact the EAS spin? Well, there's been a myriad learnings, uh, as you can imagine. Uh, we have um, developed uh, quite a bit of capability here in terms of the standard work. So, if you will, the standard operating procedures that you go through in order to efficiently and appropriately uh, be able to separate a business like this. And I'll tell you, the biggest equation, as you can imagine, besides tax and behind, you know, besides all these other important details, is the talent. Right. So we have really learned um, how to ensure uh, that our talent sees the opportunity 
uh, of the separation. Uh, you can imagine uh, some meet this kind of news uh, initially with some trepidation after having been long-term Danaher associates, but when they recognize that the future uh, where they are now positioned really as a differentiated business with such a strong ESG profile, an attractive uh, set of franchises, and the ability to deploy the cash flow that they generate, not the life sciences or diagnostics, but to their own businesses, is an incredibly attractive proposition to them. And so if, if, if I had to summarize the biggest learnings and underline it three times, it's Make sure that you communicate well to the talent, the opportunity, not just for the business, but for them as, indivi as individuals. And then you see the great leadership uh, that we've appointed there to be the president and CEO with Jennifer Honeycutt. Um, that's what we've done in each one of these uh, separations, and that has been you know, incredibly important. Perfect. And that, we are out of time. Reiner, thank you so much for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Rachel. Thanks, everybody. Good to see you.